Welcome to The Trolley Stops Here, where we talk about real things with real people from a faith perspective. I'm Laurie Ann Rookard, and a movie that everybody has seen, but I've never seen, is Malcolm X. And I'm Taylor Darden, and a movie that everyone has seen, which I have never seen, is Dirty Dancing. Um, Those are two very different movies. (laughs) Um, But I feel like history month. So I just yeah, I appreciate I appreciate you giving that shout out for probably a more culturally important movie than the one I chose. But like every time I'm like at a dance, you know, or at a dance club or something, it's really like I had the time of my life. Everybody's talking about, oh, my gosh, this is that scene. Like. I don't know. I've never seen it. <laughs> or like nobody puts baby in a corner. I have no idea what that means. There's right. no context for it for me, but I know that it's a really popular phrase. So sometimes I'll just fray it, throw it out. Like nobody puts baby in a corner. Mm. And I feel like I don't use it well with good context because I have no idea what it means. Mm. Um, I actually never have seen Malcolm X either, which is I sh- that's that's something we both need to remedy. We, maybe Laurie and Anna kind of have a, a movie watching party together once we've been vaccinated. Mm-hmm. Um, there you go. Yeah. Um, it's three hours long, so we got to block out a day for it. But That's right. uh, I, that is a movie that I really should get around to seeing at some point mm-hmm. very soon. So welcome to our podcast. I think, Lorian, we don't really have anything uh, special to promote today for the church at all, do we? Or am I mistaken? No, not yeah. not something that'll be time sure. appropriate for when right. this comes out. No. Right, right, right. Um, so just so everyone knows, today is the Super Bowl. Um, I don't know if the four of us are going to get around to watching it. We're recording it just before. Um, but just to give you a, listeners a, a time frame of, of, of the world, uh, apparently I discovered today that Tom Brady has played in 25% of all Super Bowls. Have you heard that? I did not know that. And he's doing it again uh, today. So there's your tidbit of the day. That's all the sports news you're going to get from this guy. Um <laughs> So anyway, we don't have anything to promote today other than um, we would like for all of you, our dedicated listeners, to share the podcast. Um, Put it on your Facebook page. Tell your friends about it. Whatever. We'd love to keep getting... um, have, have listeners, because this has become such a good ministry of our church that we can do outside of the walls of the church. Yeah, Taylor, I just wanted to add that if there's anybody who... Um, has a special topic that they think that they'd like to think about in terms of um, faith and, and spirituality, but anything that's going on or a special topic that they'd like us to address, um, they can let us know. Or if they'd like to participate in the podcast, they could do that as well. So just one more thing to add. Awesome. Yes. Uh, thank you for that. That's a great reminder. Um, we're really, really open to talking about things um, that uh, people want to hear from, even if there's topics we wouldn't have necessarily thought to do of ourselves, which is a great segue into our topic today, because that's exactly where this topic came from. Um, so today's topic is <clears throat> social media. Um, and it's um, it's interesting. Um, we Lorian and I have gone a lot back and forth when we talked about today's topic of the podcast of how do we tie this in, you know, to our theme? Our podcast was we're talking about things from a faith perspective or a progressive Christianity perspective and like what is particularly faith related about social media. And so it's not something that necessarily we would have naturally thought of, but multiple members of our church have kind of voiced interest in us discussing this topic. And uh, I think the sort of 
inciting incident of us talking about social media as a topic was, uh, which many of you may have watched. I, I think it might still be on Netflix. I'm not 100% sure. Um, but it is a documentary called The Social Dilemma. And if you have seen it, um, it's probably safe to say that it it sort of functions to scare the living liver out of you <laughs> about about social media. Um, and that came out this fall um, when, of course, a lot of us were spending a lot of time watching Netflix because <laughs> we can't go anywhere. Um, so it was a widely watched documentary. And so mem members of our church have kind of expressed interest in talking about it. Um, and so we are. And I watched this documentary, too, and I found it quite alarming. Anyone who knows me knows that I am someone who is a very, very frequent social media user, uh, primarily with Facebook. I post a lot, like a whole lot. Um, let's just be honest, like more than most people I know. And not going too deep into the details of this documentary because we, you know, we don't have the time and space. Just watch it. Uh, but it really goes into a lot of details about how social media companies are, are not really out to be our friends and the fact that they are free necessitates that the reason that all of these social media outlets are free is that they are using our data, that, that we are the product, right? If you're not paying for a product, you are the product. And so they're using our data to sell us things, to market us things. And that's really the only goal of most social media platforms is to keep users on the platform for as long as possible. And so there's all sorts of ways that your psychology is used against you and all of these things to keep you on the platform. It's quite alarming. Um, and, and the takeaway for some people is like delete all your platforms, right? Well, I didn't do that after I watched it. I've deleted one. I no longer have a Twitter account, but I still have a, a very active Facebook account. I have Instagram. I don't use it very often because I'm not much of a photographer. I can't take very good pictures. And so I don't really have much of an interest in Instagram. Um, and, but then there's a new there's a new guy on the scene, and that is TikTok. Um, and TikTok is a video sharing app that became really popular, particularly with Gen Z, who are younger than me, uh, during the pandemic. And then sort of millennials kind of latched on like, hey, we want to play, too. But I would say those four were probably the biggest social media platforms that I can think of right now. TikTok, Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. And so, you know, there's a lot of issues with it. And we're going to get more into that when we talk to our guests. But I also think that when we talk about this topic, there are good things that have come from social media. Just in our church alone, there's a lot of things that we have been able to do because we have a Facebook page. During the pandemic, we would not be able to do. That's how so many people have reached us. It's how we share about this podcast. It's how we share our online worship services. And we could do that without Facebook, but it would, we, it would be a much, it would be limited in what we could share. And we've, We've been able to connect with other people in the community, with other organizations, and, um, you know, it was a big part of when I worked as outreach coordinator, something that I focused on was social media, and I think that it would, we would have really been limited. Now, I will say that we don't have a Twitter account anymore. I tried that for about five minutes, and Twitter, it just didn't, it didn't work for us for a church, but I would say Instagram and Facebook have really been a good tool for us. So the, it, it, the large question that sort of comes from all of this today when we're talking about social media is the ethics and the morality of social media, right? Is it an amoral, morally neutral platform and only the ways that we use it are good or bad? It's the question, right? And we can't flip open the Bible and say, 
Aha, what would Jesus do if he had a Facebook page? <laughs> we don't know, right? I mean, Facebook wasn't even around when I was in middle school. I can't even ask my parents, what did you, you know, what did you do? What did your parents teach you about social media, right? We're still catching up with so much of this. We don't even have laws. We, we don't even have the legal infrastructure in a lot of ways to deal with the changes that have been brought out by the internet and social media. And so the answer to this larger question is, you know, how do we talk about this from a faith perspective when there's no necessarily clear answer written down in the Bible or church tradition? Well, that's the point. We have to decide. We have to make moral decisions and ethical decisions about things, whether the technology existed in biblical times or, you know, in, in John Wesley's days or not. Um, and so that's what we're here to talk about is how do we make these decisions when we have to sort of do it without all of those explicit answers. So those are my thoughts. Uh, Lauren, what are your thoughts on on this topic? Yeah, Taylor, I, I would say that I have two different principles that I use to um, to guide me when it comes to this topic. One is John Wesley's expression about practicing moderation in all things. And the other is a passage from scripture that says that we are to be in the world, but not of it. And so I definitely believe that the idea of being in the world as a human, but not being of it as a spirit, the divine with me, I, within me, I, I think that this would be true of Jesus as well, him being both divine as well as human, something that we work on on an ongoing basis of you know, how do we um, engage in every facet of the world around us and interact and share God and relate as human beings, tasting, touching, feeling, all of that, um, at the same time, not be um, of the mindset that it's everything, you know, being aware that we are spiritual beings having a human experience. So um, I do check in with myself on this and uh, see if I'm you know, where I am, if I'm getting too far uh, to one extreme or the other, am I withdrawing too much and not really engaging in the world enough? Am I getting too much um, in whatever's happening around me and not really engaging my spiritual self? It's it's definitely a delicate balance. Um, and also as far as moderation, that's something that I look at as well um, in my own life. If I see that there's something that I am becoming really dependent on, I try to pull back from it. And, and I was, uh, as I was preparing for this, I was thinking about how dependent I am on my phone and how hard it is for me even to want to put my phone on mute. I, I definitely do this, but the only time that I'm even away from my phone is between 11 p.m. and 7 a.m. because I have it on silent mode or if I go into hot yoga and the room's 106 degrees, so I'm not supposed to have it on um, or even with me. But other than that, I... I have my phone on and it almost feels like I live a life where I'm on call, not because I have to be on call, but because I think I've let that happen. And the one practice I try to observe with people, my my family, my friends, everybody is if I am with you talking to you, I try my best not to in any way answer my phone or look at my phone because I want to be totally present for you and with you. And uh, that's a discipline that I'm, I'm really trying to work on all the time. So I guess just to sum it up, I would say that my this whole idea of being in the world but not of it 
I definitely think, you know, we can get dependent on anything, whether it's our phone or our computer. And I'm sure that I'm definitely leaning towards getting very dependent and <laughs> getting anxious and worried if I can't find my phone or something like that. But as far as using all the social media platforms, I really don't feel that tempted to use those. I feel like I have enough input through um, texting and emailing and Facebook, and I just don't need to get into you know all of the other platforms as well. So I guess that's where I am coming from on this. That I deeply envy your your ability to say I don't have a strong pull towards social media um, because I feel like that's a true gift that I don't know that I will achieve uh, anytime soon. So, but I think it's it's really I appreciate your value your perspective on you know always remember being in the world and not of it. It's a it's a really valuable thing to hang on to. So. We uh, have uh, had shared our thoughts on social media, but we have two guests today that really have some interesting and informed perspectives on social media and its impacts on us. Um, so I'm going to interview one of our guests and Laurie Ann is going to interview the other. So our first guest is Janeth Weersingha, who has uh, been a long time uh, in the last few years, uh, at least attendant of our church and has really helped us a lot on the technical side of things um, in our church, has helped us with social media, has sort of figured out how to make our live stream work as we pivoted to pandemic church and uh, has really just been a great asset for us on the tech side of things. And uh, also is a PhD candidate at uh, New York University, previously Drexel University, um, in social media, studying uh, impacts of social media. His computer science is his degree, but his focus is on social media. And also uh, spent a summer working at a little place called Facebook out in California. So clearly someone who has a lot of great insight to offer on this topic. So Janeth, if there's anything you'd like to add to that introduction, um, take it away. Wow, well, that, that's a great introduction. And I'm really glad to join the podcast uh, as a guest. I've used to being on the podcast um, as, as a tech right. uh, help. This is a different experience, but I'm glad to be here. Cool. So we're going to start off talking about, you know, your, I know, and I know you've been on other podcasts talking about your research before. I know that the other podcast that you were on talking about your research was kind of meant for tech people. Um, so as much as you can, we're going to try and make it a little uh, less overly technical for uh, particularly me <laughs> and, and our audience. So without getting too technical, but, you know, just giving a window, what kind of research have you done on social media? And how has this research maybe shaped your view about social media platforms and their effect on us? Yeah. So my research sort of lies in the intersection of privacy, social media, and artificial intelligence. And I've done research on things like how your writing style can tell a lot of things about you, like mm -hmm. your age, your race, and your mental health status, and what privacy implications that bring, and what are the possible mitigations. And I've also looked at how to prevent different types of manipulation that's happening on social media platforms. And like you mentioned, I've also worked at Facebook for a summer where I was working to prevent and detect what we called fake engagements. These are likes and comments that pages and people receive through not so genuine means, which we wanted to prevent. And I also want to mention a little disclaimer that 
I'm no longer connected with Facebook because that was just an internship. And, you know, the details that I'm sharing right now are things that are in the public domain and I'm Thank not spilling any Facebook secret. <laughs> yes. Um, good, good information. <laughs> and with that, I would want to uh, pivot to the second part of your question, you know, like how has this information and this knowledge um, sort of like shaped my view? And I know you sort of hinted this before in your um, introduction that we need to understand how the business model of social media platforms work. And you as a user who's scrolling through your Facebook feed or your Twitter feed is not the, is not the client. You are the product. Mm -hmm. And your, um, the client is the advertisers. And what the advertisers want is for you to see the advertisements and for you to click on them. Mm-hmm. And the way that the social media platforms get money is how many clicks you get, right? So for the social media platforms to show you ads that are more relevant for you, that you will likely click, they want to collect a lot of information about you to figure out what things you like and what things you don't. And that's where some of the privacy implications come. And they also want you to want to keep you engaged as long as possible so that you will see a lot of ads and click on a lot of ads. So throughout this discussion, I think that is, and throughout your life, I think we should like think of that incentive structure. Mm-hmm. And the other thing that I've come to realize over, over the last couple of years is that I feel that social media platforms have grown too fast and with little oversight, right? Like over some time ago, Facebook's motto used to be move fast and break things. Right. And they did break <laughs> things that probably were not meant to be broken, right? Yeah. Uh, now they have understood that and have, you know, moved on from that. And it also used to be like a very catchy buzz phrase or a term around this like Silicon Valley startup culture, this concept of um, disruption. Disruption is a good thing, right? Like it leads to a lot of innovation, but we need some sort of like controlled disruption, right? Mm -hmm. We we don't want like a lot of things in our society to be disrupted. And sometimes maybe having some adults in the room um, (laughs) thinking about these things might have helped these companies Mm -hmm. in the long run and might have helped our society in the long run. Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, it is true. Like so many of these companies were started by like, 20 20 year old men who you know just had talent with computers but not necessarily the life experience or the education or anything to talk about like what is this how what's the social impact of this and the psychological impact of this i think that's a really important piece of the puzzle for sure um so just just for the moment assuming that we are going to use social media so we're we're talking about referring now to the people who have decided they're going to use social media platforms maybe they know about the risks and the negative sides but they've decided that they're going to do it anyway which i do not cast any judgment on because i'm one of those people um what advice do you would you give to those of us who do use social media like for protecting our privacy and safety um or do you just think you know what you should not use social media because there's no way to protect yourself yeah, I would say social media can be a very good thing, right? especially these days. That's how we communicate and keep in touch with our friends, family, and for most people, it's a wonderful thing. And as with everything in our world, like we have to approach it with like some amount of health skepticism, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and this is something that's common in our like usual real world life, right? Some, like 
our parents taught us to, you know, don't take candy from a stranger or don't get into a stranger's car. Like some of those like things can translate into our digital and social mm. media life. And sometimes I think that's sort of the disconnect, especially as some of our senior population has, right? Like you tend to trust everything that's on the internet. So what are some like best practices that we can adopt in our life? I mean, some of these are very obvious things like use safe passwords, strong passwords, and don't reuse, you know, passwords across services. Now, this is easier said than done. I mean, I sometimes tend to reuse a password too. So there are services, you know, where you can store and generate like safer passwords. But, you know, if you, if you don't want to do that, like I would say for your most critical services, like your internet, um, sorry, your email, your Facebook, your Twitter have separate passwords that are strong. And, you know, when you're installing apps or if you go to a website and it asks you to, you know, sign in through Facebook, just think about, you know, does this app or does this service need all the permissions that it's asking me for? Your calculator does not need to know your location or your flashlight app does not need to, you know, have access to your microphone. So, you know, and look at the reviews um, of other people and, you know, install apps that you trust from a trusted provider. And there are other things, you know, like, especially on social media, like, I usually tend to add as friends only people I know on Facebook. Mm-hmm. And, but, you know, and sometimes the platforms are different. Like, on, on my Twitter, I, my presence is more of an academic and a professional one. And I don't post a lot of personal things on Twitter. So my Twitter profile is public. Just, just having sort of a sense of, you know, what information is shared with whom is important. Mm-hmm. And also, this is something very important. Just avoid clicking unknown links or links that are sent to you from people you don't know. Or even if it is a person you know, and, you know, somebody who you hasn't, haven't talked to, like, in a year, just sends <laughs> you a random message saying, hey, check this out, and this random link. I would be like, you know, hey, nice to hear from you after a long time. Um, <laughs> did you mean to send this link? Right, right. right. Just making sure uh, and sort of having some sort of awareness and skepticism about things is, I think, healthy. Yeah, I think that's really good. I, I definitely can relate to getting some of those messages. <laughs> like, I haven't talked to you in about seven years. It seems yeah. odd that you would send me this message out of contact saying, oh, my gosh, look at this video. Right. But I think the right. impulse might be for a lot of us to like want to believe that that's the case because we. We want to believe that people want to check it. You know, we it, it sort of plays on your ego and it plays on your desire for human connection. Right? You want right. to believe that this person cares about you who you talked to seven years ago. You don't want to believe that it's, in fact, a robot trying to scrape your data. Right. I think that's right. really like I like what you talk about, the healthy dose of skepticism of being like, OK, let me let me let me put my thinking cap on for a second. Does this make sense? Right. Yeah. Yeah. So you talk, you kind of hit on this earlier, you know, talking about um, misinformation on the Internet. And I I wanted to talk, you know, we've talked about sort of the more individual personal parts of social media. But what about some of the larger social implications of social media? Because I think we've we've definitely heard about how it has influenced elections, you know, how it can we can really get in what's called echo chambers where we hear only the things that we want to hear, only the news that confirms our our biases. 
misinformation. But also, I also want to temper that with saying there's I think that there's some positive social implications of social media, too. And one of those that comes to my mind is the Arab Spring. That might that kind of seems like forever ago. But I think that um, something in the Arab Spring is that it was started by Twitter, largely, is that the reason that all of these, you know, governments were overthrown in the Middle East was because of their organization through Twitter. And there's other examples of that. So I, I just wanted to see, like, what are your thoughts on the social implications of social media? Yeah, like I said before, like, as with anything, there's a lot of good that comes and there's a lot of bad that comes to I mean, you talk about misinformation. And I think we can have like a whole episode on misinformation. Mm. And I think one of the biggest issues that I see currently on social media is misinformation. And I'm, there's a lot of problems and it's, 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 it's a hard problem to solve. And there's a lot of steps that social media platforms and regulators can do. But I think I want to take time to sort of talk about things that you and we as a user can take mm-hmm. to prevent spread of misinformation. Rule number one is just because it's on the internet, it does not mean it's true because anyone can create a website. Anyone can have a YouTube channel. Anyone can create a podcast. <laughs> Talk about anything, right? <laughs> that um, is true. So always, always go to like reputable sources like AP News or Reuters or NPR because I think what, and you talked, uh, you hinted at this, like what social media and internet has done is sort of like democratized a lot of ways that we share information that is a very good thing but also it it's sort of taken down some of the important barriers because before that newspapers and tv channels had a lot of journalistic integrity and there was a lot of Mm -hmm. accountability that is not the case when some random person on the internet starts a youtube channel right so you know when when you see some article or, or a post, just look at the source to see if this is a credible source. And the other thing that you can do is, just before you share something, fact check it, especially if it has a very catchy or a clickbaity title, because that's what it's designed to do. It's designed mm-hmm. so that you would click on it and just create this very emotional reaction. So maybe take a step back and think, okay, is does this sound too good or is this does this sound real? And the easiest thing to do is just um, search search for the title of that article with the keywords like fact check on Google. And then you would see if, if anyone had sort of fact checked that particular claim. And I think one of the best things that we as individuals can do is just do that little step of fact checking and that'll prevent a lot of misinformation st- uh, spread. And you also hinted at like other things like Currently, the social media ecosystem is like very monopolized. There's only a few players in in this mm-hmm. arena. And I feel like for that, we probably need some sort of regulation. And sometimes people say like regulation of this sort would kill innovation. But I would like to argue like currently what happens is if some, if another new startup or like a new idea comes, what would happen is that most of these big social media companies would either buy and kill that idea or incorporate right. it, right? right? Having some some amount of healthy competition actually leads to better innovation. And right. we might need some sort of regulation around that. Mm-hmm. And 
in terms of like privacy in social media, you know, up until like a while ago, most of the platforms didn't have a lot of incentive around privacy. Now that people have talked about the privacy issues a lot, there is some incentive. We need better regulations in that sense too. And I feel like especially the European Union has been very good about this with the regulations about GDPR, where you as a user sort of have the right and control of your data. And you can ask the social media companies to give you a copy of data or delete that. Like you as the user have some sort of control. Um, that's not the case in a lot of U.S. states. There is uh, something similar to GDPR called CCPA in the state of California, but um, it's not very universal. So, I mean, we do need some uh, regulation around it too, but there are some steps that we as users can take as well. That's that's a that's a good thought. <laughs> we are in a little. We are in some amount of control of our own uh, privacy. That's good to know. So I'm gonna. The last question we're gonna kind of direct towards you, Janeth, is um, we know. I know. I happen to know that some of your research has focused on, as you touched on, tweets and mental illness, and sort of studying the way that someone can look at a tweet and determine whether you have depression, um, which is sort of a mind-boggling thought. So. With the caveat that we know that you are not a mental health professional, I'm just curious, you know, in studying this and studying tweets and depression, if you've gotten any takeaways or knowledge about social media and our mental health, do you think it's addictive? Do you think that it is can be detrimental to our mental health? Thoughts on that? Yeah. Social media definitely can be addictive. And I think you, uh, you as a person could could be a good judge about that, right? Like, if you go on your Twitter feed or your Facebook or your Instagram, how do you feel like after, you know, spending some time on the platforms? Do you feel like, you know, you're angry or sad? I mean, this is something that I experience, right? I, I see a lot of my friends um, on Instagram posting, like, really beautiful, happy pictures, right? Uh, and maybe I'm just in my room just um, scrolling through them. But one thing that I didn't really think about this but which is obvious is that you know those are just one fraction of their life mm -hmm. and you're seeing a very curated feed right mm -hmm. so just thinking about those things you know like what you see on social media is sometimes not the not the full picture of things mm -hmm. and about like you know social media addiction uh one thing over the last couple of years that social media companies and like mobile platforms have been getting better at is um, giving you tools to look at your digital well-being. And I know uh, both Android and iPhone has become better at this. And I think we'll probably post links to um, some of the things that you can use on our show notes. Like if you go to your Android or iPhone settings, you can see how much time you have spent on each app, right? And I right. feel like this is a very eye-opening thing for most people. Like, <laughs> I I would not believe that I have spent like three hours on TikTok. Uh, <laughs> but the, I mean, sometimes that's my running average. Right. I feel like for me, at least, like having those statistics sort of helped me, you know, sort of control uh, mm -hmm. what what my social media intake is. And you actually can set like timers for each app, yeah, uh, for a day, and that that has become very helpful. Um, so that there are some tools that 
have come up over the last couple of years that helps you um, control your social media usage. And another tip that I would give is to turn off notifications on your phone for apps that doesn't need the notifications. Like I don't need Facebook uh, constantly pushing me notifications mm -hmm. about mm -hmm. what my friends like. So uh, this is something that I have personally taken in my life. Where I The only apps that can notify me on my phone are the messaging apps. Because the other things, uh, I don't need them to distract me when I'm working. Uh, so it, like there, there are some things that you can take control over and help you with your life. But the other side of this that I wanted to talk about is that social media has become safe spaces to for a lot of people right. to talk right. about their for mental sure. illness. Uh, or, you know, build community. And that is mm -hmm. a wonderful and a very good thing. Mm -hmm. um, so we we need to understand that too. It's just this good and bad, but we just need to realize and figure out how to take the benefits of social media. Yeah, that's a really good point. Um, I know that the trans community, uh, I, I just happened to hear in, a, in a discussing with some trans uh, colleagues of mine that it's become a real important thing for the trans community to connect with like-minded people who they right. may not experience in their lives and like recognize that they're not alone, particularly teenagers. And so we, we shouldn't discount, you know, the value of, of marginalized communities or, or people who want to talk about their mental health, because we know that therapy is expensive and it's hard to come right. by. So it, you know, it provides an outlet for people to talk to people. That's a really good point. Um, I would also like to add, and we'll, we'll throw this in the show notes too. Another cool thing that I've started using on Facebook is the newsfeed eradicator where it replaces your newsfeed and it only works on your computer. It doesn't work on your phone, um, but it replaces your newsfeed with an inspirational quote. So I have not seen my Facebook newsfeed in several months. I open it and I see, you know, I see a quote by Maya Angelou. And I know, mm. Maya Angelou, that has got to be a, a better effect on my mental health than seeing just scrolling endlessly through all of my friends and their perfectly uh, curated news feeds. I also say, will say that I don't regret getting rid of my Twitter account. Um, that mm. I, I just, I had a day when I was like, I have never felt good after spending time on Twitter. Like, I'm not going to say there's no value in it. It's a great way to learn about people who are different from me and, like, learn about other communities and things like that. And I do miss out on that, but I haven't regretted it because I never once felt good after leaving Twitter. So I think it's making these decisions for yourself um, is a great way to sort of take care of your own mental health um, here in our sort of uh, self-care well wellness series of podcasts. Um well, thank you so much, Janeth. We'll get back to you towards the end of the podcast, but I'm going to pass the mic over to my co-host, Laurieann, who's going to introduce yeah. our other guest. Yes. Well, speaking of feeling good about something, I'm very happy to introduce to you uh, Lawrence Clark. And I have had the privilege of knowing Lawrence since his birth because he happens to be my nephew. Uh, <laughs> he, is, he is also currently a teacher at the I Promise School in Ohio. Uh, he's been a member of the church for just about three months. I'm sure Lawrence could give it to you down to the hours, minutes, and seconds, because he's very good at statistics. Um, but Lawrence, I'll let you introduce yourself, and if you'd like to say more, and then I'd like to ask you some questions on our topic. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Aunt Lori. Um, yes, I'm a teacher at the I Promise School in Akron, Ohio. Uh, I graduated from Kent State University through the Middle Childhood Education Program back in 2018. 
Um, I lived the majority of my life in uh, Ohio, but I did uh, live in Pennsylvania, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania for a short time as well. Yeah, and it's so great to be here, and it's such an honor to be here again. I was also another guest at for the Issues That Matter podcast, so it's just such a great honor to be the first two-time guest. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. Oh, my gosh. So, Lawrence, um, first thing I wanted to ask you about is how have you seen social media in your work as an educator? Uh, and how does it affect your students' lives in ways that may have been different from when you were a student? Wow, that's a great question. You know, the school that I particularly work at, social media means something different than what other typical schools uh, would use it for, what it would mean to them. Uh, the I Promise School, I would say, is a social media pioneer. They utilize it to showcase our scholars and all the great things that we do in such a positive, positive way. And we as educators are also encouraged to share that as well. You won't really see that at a you know normal, typical school. But before I promise, it was kind of interesting to seeing, um, you know, get to experience what other schools and how other schools utilize social media. Typically, there's like, a main page for either the district or the school itself. Um, and that's really it. Uh, you don't really see like educators usual, utilizing their personal social media accounts to showcase some things that they do in the, in the classroom. So I, I feel like how it affects our students' lives. At my particular school, it highlights a lot of the things that our students do. There is even a documentary about my school that came out last year that really, you know, really gets everyone the opportunity to see, you know, what our kids go through on a daily basis. I feel that in every example that I've seen at either a district or a school uh, social media page, um, it really showcases the amazing things that educators do, not just at my school, but at every school. So yeah, those are just some of the ways that that it's impacted my students' lives and how I've seen it impact other students' lives. And I feel that a way that it's different for me uh, since when I was a student, it wasn't, it was not as widespread and utilized as much as when I was in school. Like when I was in elementary school, there was MySpace and I don't think anybody even remembers what that was, but I feel like Facebook and Twitter and all the social media giants have definitely kind of taken over a little bit the the internet and it wasn't it wasn't like that when I was in school so I think that's the major difference that I see that it's a bigger part of our lives now than it was back then. Oh, thank you. Yeah, so thinking about your students um while you don't have your own children what I'm wondering is if you did have your own children, do you think you would allow them to use social media? Why? Why not? What are your thoughts about that? Um, this kind of goes back to how I was raised. I think the easy answer would be no, but I think it depends on the circumstances and the use for it. Since social media is so much bigger than it was back when I was in school, 
I feel like in some ways you, you, you really don't even have a choice because a lot of schools nowadays, you know, post students on social media anyways. So I, I definitely think it would depend on the circumstance and the age. I wouldn't let, you know, if I had son or daughter, I wouldn't let them in elementary school have their own personal account. But then what if it's for their school and their, you know, it's their sports team and, you know, their sports team at that school has their own page and they're featured. So I, I guess, you know, the ultimate answer to that, it, you know, it depends on the circumstances and it depends on the primary use. And it also depends on the, the platform as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, now with the virus, you're doing all your a lot of your teaching online. And I'm just wondering, how are you more aware about the online experience with your students? Uh, how do you think this experience compares to in-person teaching? I'm definitely more aware of the online experience with my students because I know that a lot of them, especially in the age group that I teach, utilize social media a lot, but I'm 99% sure that it's increased because of the pandemic because that might be the only way that they can keep contact with their classmates or their friends. And I always remind them to, you know, just be mindful about the platforms that they're using and the things that they post because, schools and future employers can see that stuff and track it down. And I also, you know, think that's something that adults should follow too. I I feel like sometimes, sometimes people might change one letter of their name or just make it their middle name or something like that. And, you know, they feel like they could post whatever they want. And I, you know, that's not necessarily true. They could still find you and you still could be held accountable. And no one's, you know, above the social media rules. And we learned that this past year has taught us that. I feel like that's something that I constantly remind them of. And it's not like a conversation I have with my students once. It's something that I'm constantly going over with them, especially with the most recent traumatizing events that have happened over the past year, over um, the past couple years. So I think that's the key. And just, you know, reminding them to be aware of what they post and maybe to be aware of certain platforms that they use and be mindful about the purpose of those platforms. This compares to in-person teaching. I will, number one, I definitely prefer in-person teaching than online teaching. But I'm so thankful and grateful that we have the technology that makes it possible for virtual learning because... This happened 20 years ago. What will we do? You know, there wasn't a Zoom. Laptops didn't have webcams built in with them. You know, what would we do? I mean, we would have to write or send everything in the mail, send all the assignments into the mail or have a 20-way phone call or something, you know? So I'm, I'm just thankful that the technology that we have access to allows us to have this virtual option. Yeah, so. Yeah, well, you kind of are talking a little bit about my next question, which is modeling. And, you know, we think about ourselves as adults and so much of what we we say that we want to do, we have to certainly model that. And you're a teacher, so you're teaching, you're modeling. How can we best model the use of social media for our kids and teens? 
And then just to kind of slip in a secondary question, does your faith inform the way you think about this as a three month old member of the church or anyway, how does your faith <laughs> inform the way you yeah, I think for to answer your first question, how can we best model the use of social media for our kids and teens? Lead by example, I feel is the best way that to model, just like if I were teaching, if I want students to understand how to multiply fractions, actually work through the problem yourself before you actually teach it. Um, try to think about or anticipate potential problems that a student might run into or misconceptions that might occur. And you can kind of relate that to the use of social media. If you want them to make the right choice online, then you have to make the right choice online. If you want them to be mindful about what they post, then you have to be mindful about what you post. And the misconceptions can have a correlation with misinformation like our other guest was talking about. You know, how do we help our students steer clear of misconceptions or change those misconceptions is the same thought process that we need in order to help them navigate through the, the world of social media and navigate through and not fall into the trap of misinformation. I feel like, you know, God has placed me in a position of leadership. And I, I feel like he gives me like little messages in certain situations where, you know, I feel that I am a leader and not necessarily it was meant to be that way. Sometimes I, I see it during meetings that I would have where I feel, you know, a lot of people are relying on me to give them advice, some people that I work with. And I, I get these like little subtle, little subtle hints. And I think that's a part of a, a bigger message of my purpose in life that he's given me is to be a leader. And, you know, I've always wanted to be a teacher. That's all that I've ever wanted to do. But I never really thought about exploring much beyond that. So if all goes well, I'll embark on a new chapter in my life coming soon this year. And we'll see, you know, what my true purpose is. So, yeah. So I'm very, very enthusiastic to see what, 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 is, what is to come. <laughs> So I wanted to I think they should leave your on mute in there. Oh no, am I still on mute? This is No, we can hear you. Social media. Oh good. I, I can't believe it muted on that one point because that was when I wanted to tell everybody that I remember you being very young and you would take Raymel and Jesse and all of the stuffed animals in the room and you would line them all up. And my sons included <laughs> at the stuffed animals and you would teach everybody. And if they didn't want to be a student, they would just run away yelling or whatever. But if they had it, you wanted them to sit and learn. And you've always, always, always wanted to be a teacher. And that's just who you are, Lauren. So I'm glad that you're a leader. I'm glad that you're in the role you're in. And um, I just kind of what you said about being a teacher and knowing that's your purpose. It really, it always has been that for you. So, that uh, is an adorable story. I just have to say, and, I love. Yeah, that. and I'm so glad that you talked about it in the public podcast too. <laughs> I um, was going to say, Lauren, it's really like yeah. you can still do that now that you're teaching over a computer. You could just put all the stuffed animals behind your laptop, right. and nobody would know. And it's, you have your little your little audience there. We've right. got lots of bears at the church. I know. I mean, right. Ohio. Yeah. Too bad I don't have all my. My stuffed animals, but it's it's good because you know when I got when I interviewed at 
I promise. I I told that story. I, um, that's a great interview story. You should yeah. have that one. Yeah, I sure. told that story, and I'm sure they all remember it too, about yeah, how yeah. I used to teach all my stuffed animals before I, before I actually became teacher, went to school to be a teacher. I was teaching, you know, since I was in diapers. So, <laughs> so I would like us to wrap up our podcast. We're gonna have we now have a set of questions that Lorianne and I are gonna kind of tag team on. Uh, just a few more questions that we're gonna ask to both of our guests. And this is going to be maybe a little more informal, possibly, you know, answer if you want. Uh, don't if you don't, I guess. And you can hop in and we'll just kind of a- ask these last few questions, um, sort of general kind of philosophical questions about social media. So my first question to both of you is, we have really increased our use of social media. And we've already talked about this a lot of, you know, in the context of teaching, of course, but also in the context of our church. I mean, and just in general, social media and more broadly speaking, the Internet has rapidly increased during the pandemic, right? Um, So I'm just curious to ask the two of you, has your own use increased at all? And do you think that like this increased use has any issues Um, or can it be a good thing? Um, I know we've talked about some of this already, but maybe anything we haven't talked about the increased use of social media in the pandemic. Um, I think I personally have definitely increased my use of social media. And I feel like, me living uh, in a different country from my family, not not being able to meet a lot of people in a pandemic, I think it has definitely been helpful. Otherwise, I don't know like how I would have kept in touch with my friends and family. That said, I mean, I I know of instances, you know, where especially when you know most people have a lot of time um, these days and have you know, fell into some, like, really dark um, corners of the internet just because, you know, maybe they got recommended videos uh, mm-hmm. that had a lot of misinformation and that mm-hmm. had created some, like, real tangible harm. So, yeah, that's my mixed answer, I guess. Right. I mean, you think, you know, too, like, just people, a lot of people are in a low place this year. They've lost their <laughs> job. They've watched yeah. people get sick. They've had loved ones get sick. Or whatever. I mean, you know, and I think that that's that can be really bad if someone's in a low place and there's something that out there that wants to take advantage of them, then that can be a negative thing. That's a really good point. So. Yeah. Yeah, I will. Uh, I'd say I've done the best I can to actually decrease. I feel like my use of social media has actually decreased slightly. I feel that because of the year that we had. Um, it kind of wore me out, and I think that's safe to say for everyone. So I kind yeah. of made it for this year to take a different approach to social media and really be mindful about the time that I spend on there. I don't. I used to have everything uh, when I was in high school. I had uh, Snapchat, Instagram, Facebook, like everything that there was. Vine. You remember Vine? Vine. I used to like. I think if Vine, Vine, Vine was the OG TikTok, right? Yeah. 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 Fine, I would probably still have, but um, now I just have Facebook. I don't have any of that stuff anymore, and I don't miss it at all. I, I I keep my Facebook to keep in touch with family that lives far away, and of course our church too. I feel like that 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 one is kind of a necessity, but I still limit the time that I spend on there. I really want to make a goal for myself for this year to read more. Because I feel like I've been putting that on the back burner. 
Um, and I'm in the middle of like three great books right now. So I, I really want to make that a focus and as well as self-care because in my opinion, social media kind of depletes self-care because you're kind of using it to compare yourself to what, you know, everybody else is doing. And I have to go back to what your other guest said. You know, that's just one snapshot of someone's life. That's not the whole story. And, and I'll repeat this at the end too. Like, I think that could be a major takeaway for everyone is to remember that, especially if you're going through something really tough right now is to remember that everybody's going through something. You just see the good stuff on social media. I feel like this could be a good thing, of course, during a pandemic, because you keep in contact with people that live far away. I feel more connected with my students, with people I work with, and with my friends, because we utilize platforms where we could talk to each other. I've had a lot of virtual hangouts with my friends over like Google Duo and stuff like that, family Zoom meetings and stuff. So that never would have happened if it weren't for the pandemic. So if that's one good thing, that's that's the good thing that has come out of it. Yeah, that's a really good point. Yeah. So um, I am wanting to ask about our church and we have definitely increased our use of social media, um, especially in the last year or two. And I'm wondering how the two of you view that. I mean, yes, we've had an increase, but in the usage, what do you think has it been positive? What's positive? What's not positive as far as the increase in, uh, in churches and our church specifically using social media? Um, I think we've been able to, you know, spread uh, our church presence and a lot of other things that we do in the local community and, you know, uh, around into other states as well, since Lawrence is here. Um, <laughs> you know, we've, we've met people that we otherwise would not have met through social media. And I think we've been able to bring a lot of people to the Thanksgiving lunch you know, last year, because mm. we sort of spread that event mm. through social media. So I think it has done a lot of good um, to the church and the surrounding community. Yeah, I agree with Janet 100%. I feel like, especially with our church, our outreach is phenomenal now. And I don't think it will, may, may have not have happened if it weren't for the pandemic. And this the platform Zoom that has allowed us to reach more members uh, that live far away. Our newest members, including myself, live in other states. Would have that been possible if we weren't, you know, virtual or spent all that time, you know, worshiping uh, virtually? And it has allowed me to host our, our host. It has allowed me to host our uh, virtual coffee hour at the end of our um, worship yeah. services. Um, if you told me, I can't say a year ago because it's been a year since pandemic. So two years ago, if you told me two years ago that not only would I be a member of a church that's, you know, 420 something miles away, but I would be a host yeah. of their virtual coffee hour. On top of that, I would say, no way. There's no way. How would that be possible? You know, yeah. but God made it possible. Yeah, I love that. And actually, I know that I'm uh, not supposed to be answering the questions, but I am <laughs> going to answer this one because I, uh, as you know, of course, Lorianne, for the time that I was 
community outreach coordinator. One of my jobs was social media, which is something I, I don't natively know much about uh, on the, the back end side of things. I got a lot of help from Janeth in that respect. But I will say that one really interesting thing about me coming on, and we of course talked about this on this podcast, is that when I came on in this role was when the Methodist Church was really wrestling with uh, how they viewed homosexuality and you know same sex marriage and and um, things like that, and what it allowed, what I think our social media presence allowed us to do was to make it clear where we stood to people and to provide a lot of you know, connections with other groups and, and that, you know, that also um, are supportive of LGBTQ people in the church. And it was clear that it was a safe space in a way that we could also have done on our website, but this was a way to, to really network with these communities and connect with them in a way that we might not have been able to do otherwise. And it, you know, it, it brought us some interesting, and I, I don't know if you remember this, Laurieann, uh, but we, we, we had some interesting backlash that happened on our Facebook page, you know, when we put uh, the pride flag on our, in our church. And it, it, you know, I mean, that could be viewed as a negative, obviously, because it could be viewed as harmful speech to, that, that, would, that would harm people if they saw it on our Facebook page. But it also provided a platform for us to engage and have conversations like, hey, let's talk about this, you know. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's something that, I would not have predicted would be a benefit of a social media pre- preference, a pre- presence, um, but uh, a, social, <laughs> a social media presence that we we engaged in in a topic and a community in a way that I'm not sure we would have been able to, to Janice's point, if we hadn't had that. And just to just to add to what Taylor said, I feel like in like John Lewis, you got into good trouble for doing what was right. Um, <laughs> well, I'll take it. Yeah, yeah. Like that. I'm a fan of that. Um, so this is kind of our last sort of topic-specific question for the day. And I've touched on this in my introduction, but I just wanted to know, you know, from a, and we're not, and we can talk about this in a lot of perspectives, but this idea of social media and the internet is a very new thing. Um, most of our ideas of ethics and morality tend to go back for a while, decades or centuries on certain ideas. And, and, and they change, right? <laughs> one, of the, one of the topics is the one I just mentioned. You know, our views of, the, of ethics and morality ch- ch- can change on things and they can evolve as we learn more. But it's, there's not many things that we, do, we didn't even have a concept of them until the current generation. You know, and we just certainly don't have the Bible to look to for ethics, for uh, social media, the internet. We don't have, as I joked, but, you know, on a serious note, John Wesley, who's the father of a lot of our method of our Methodist theology, he did not have anything to say about uh, Facebook. And, uh, and we don't even have a ton of laws about social Mm -hmm. media, I would argue, we don't have enough laws, as Janeth touched on, there's not enough regulation. So I would love to ask the two of you, um, kind of, where do you and Lauren, you can answer this too if you want. Where do we, how do we determine the ethics, the right and wrong of something like social media when there's not an obvious answer to, to look to? Yeah, I've been thinking about this question for a while, right? Like, I feel like, you know, yes, social media is new, but we, we aren't starting from a blank slate, right? We have, and like, you know, we as a society sort of decide on think these things through discussions, through debates. Mm-hmm. And I, as an academic, we do a lot of research. And, 
you as a faith-based organization sort of provide the foundations and frameworks to, you know, what's ethical, what's moral, you know, schools as teachers educate um, your students. And I think this is, you know, this not, I don't think there's like one easy answer, but I feel like we as a community, each of us has diff have different things to bring into this discussion and, and to, and to sort of make our online and social media lives better. Yeah. Yeah. I, I feel that this is where our faith comes in too. And I feel the importance of having strong faith that, you know, guides us in the decisions that we make. And that includes what we post on social media. You know, I feel that what I've seen some people do is, you know, they have like a professional page and a personal page where their professional page is glorious and so many positive things and their personal page might be, they might post stuff that they might regret later or not realize that it'll come back to haunt them <laughs> or they'll, you know, change their name or make it just their middle name or initial or something and then feel like they won't be held accountable because they have a different name. But it doesn't really work like that. <laughs> um, you, you know, you are going to be held accountable. Just like I said earlier, you are going to be held accountable one way or another. It doesn't matter if you change your name or anything like that. That's still trackable. And I feel like that's one a very, very important point to make. And I feel, you know, you said there are no laws. Well, you said there are limited laws, but I feel there are really no laws. Um, <laughs> I feel like it's a free-for-all. I feel like the rules that are put in place are, are set by the platform, not by the government. There are really no laws yeah, when it sure. comes to <laughs> social media. But I feel since it's such a big part of our lives, it uh, like what Janet said, I think there needs to be some regulation and, you know, but the question is, where does that regulation come from? Does it come from the actual platform because it's private or does it come, does it have to come from the government? And then what, you know, power does the federal government truly have when it comes to what people can post on social media? Because then you have to talk about freedom of speech and your amendment rights, your first amendment rights. So. It's a very blurry line that I think eventually will have to be discussed of where is that line that you can't cross. And I, I also feel like a lot of people have already discussed it. And, you know, this kind of goes back to what I said. I, I, you know, just be aware and be mindful about uh, the things that, that we post and, and be mindful that no matter what name you have or what picture you have, or who your Facebook friends with or whatever social media platform you use, it can all be tracked to the actual person. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So our final question is just an open-ended piece, which is where we ask each of you, is there anything specific that you'd like to leave us with? Taylor and myself, all of us. We're all ears. <laughs> We're all ears. Well, um, I think one thing that I would like to end with is um, social media can be a very good thing in your life. It helps you connect with your friends uh, and, you know, um, connect with the world. So, but we shouldn't necessarily let social media control our life, but it should be, you know, we should have control over 
what we post on social media and what we you know do on social media so just like have that healthy balance get the good things out of social media um, and just leave it at that yeah i definitely agree um and i'll just kind of build on with what janet said i also there's a takeaway that something that he mentioned earlier about you know everyone's going through something uh and that year this past year has showed us that and you're only seeing it like say if you're you know you're in your room or in your private setting and you see all these you know people doing so many great things in their lives and stuff and it you know it makes you feel upset that you you may not in that moment have what they have but that's just one Mm -hmm. tiny little fraction of you know that's one tiny little crack in the wall that you're looking through that's not the whole story um Mm -hmm. and i feel like it's important to build a what i call like an inner circle a good group of friends that have your back no matter what like my friends this is so awesome what my friends do they they know that i don't have like and some family members do this too they know i don't have like Instagram or Twitter or anything like that. So what they do, if they want me to see something that's on there, but not on Facebook, they screenshot it or send the link and text it to me or uh, Facebook Messenger to me so that so that I could still be a part of, you know, whatever they're talking about. And I think that's awesome. Um, so building like a connection in a group like that definitely, definitely helps and limit the time of your social media use. And really think about the purpose of it. I feel that it's not, you know, a personal diary, but you can be personable with it, but you just have to be mindful about how you use it. I think that's the most important thing. Just be mindful of how you use it and the potential consequences that can come from it. Yeah, thanks. Okay, so we're going to take a a big, nice yoga breath. And we're going to think about... What are some takeaways from our time together? But we're not going to rush. We're just going to breathe in all the kernels of wisdom we've shared and breathe out anything we don't need and just let ourselves just see if there's anything that we have taken away. What what do, what sits with us, what resonates with us that we want to take away today from our time together? I think one thing that I will take away is actually listening to all three of you share that you have the same human, uh, maybe need for connection that I do. You know, I'm not, mm-hmm. I really like that. All of us, all of us are susceptible to these issues and these needs of wanting to connect and, and may, having trouble putting our phone away. And and sort of like, you know, it's sort of interesting, like the issue with social media too much is this, it comes from a good thing, our desire to connect. And so just remembering that we are all still connected and we do have so much in common and we are all still human, even as we're so far apart and that we don't necessarily always need uh, to scroll through Facebook to remember that. Taylor, I thought I knew what you were going to share and I was wrong. Oh, I thought you were going to share the story that Lawrence about Lawrence and the stuffed oh. animal is your favorite thing, but <laughs> it's, 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 a it's, it's a close second. It's a close second. Is well, that yours? I just want to say, yeah, no, my I <laughs> do that one many, many, many years. So um, the new thing that I would say um, kind of really is still inside of me 
that has come out from both Janeth as well as Lawrence is this thing about just being aware, evaluating, uh, trying to get the very best out of the use of social media, but really evaluating. And I've just sort of think that during Lent, I'm probably going to try to put some things in place for myself to just to try. I mean, people, I've heard people talk about fasting for a few hours a day in terms of their use of computer or phone. You know, I don't know what it's going to look like, but I think because of what I'm listening to and learning from both of you today that we've interviewed and actually all of us, I think I'd like to try to do something in my Lenten discipline that relates to um, to social media and putting some parameters on that. So that would be uh, some things I've taken that are have to do with my takeaway. Um, one thing that I am I sort of learned, and I'm thankful through that I that I learned through this this discussion is that I'm really glad that we have um, younger teachers like Lawrence who know a lot about social media yeah uh, and that's like modeling that good behavior for our younger mm -hmm. generation because you know one thing that i was thinking is you know we talked about rules and regulations but if you listen to um the congressional hearings about social media it's very clear that the that our lawmakers does not have a very good <laughs> picture right just from the questions that they were asking right mm -hmm. and i'm glad that our younger generation has good teachers and instructors to sort of model their behavior from. Thank you. Thank you. I really, really appreciate it. I learned a lot from all of you. And I just wanted to say it's so grateful to be here and um, just hearing and being an active listener. And that's a shout out to our uh, other podcast. And just, you know, really taking in like different perspectives of social media then evaluating, like, is there anything that I can do differently or do better? And I think, you know, if we're, you know, self-evaluating, there's always something that we can. But I think, you know, continuing to be mindful about the things that I post and that I share, especially knowing, you know, I have a lot on the line and a lot of people pay attention a lot more. Oh, another thing I really want to say, a lot more people pay attention to things that you post than you may realize. I I would sometimes get messages from people that I haven't talked to in years and I made sure it was actually them and not a robot. Um, <laughs> and, you know, they were like, Hey, yeah, I watch, I listened to your podcast. I saw this post and it's really cool. I like all the stuff that you post. I'm like, wow, I never really thought that you would, you know, take the time to, you know, pay attention to what I post and stuff like the, the things that I post and stuff. So I um really, you know, grateful that, we have the, um, you know, the, the platforms that we have to make us more connected, especially during pandemics. But, you know, I, I think a big takeaway for me is that what Janet said, that social media is a good thing. It's here to help us, but we just got to be mindful. And we have a, you know, a big power that we just have to use it responsibly. Yes. That's a, a great ending note. Thank you both so much for sharing your experience and your expertise and your warm and uh, wonderful personalities. Um, and we thank you all for listening to us on this episode of The Trolley Stops Here. We'll see you next time. The Trolley Stops Here is a ministry of First United Methodist Church in Media, Pennsylvania. 
It's hosted by Laurie Ann Rookard and Taylor Darden. And our podcast is edited by Ayanda Sitholik.